Amen. I love the prayer of that last stanza, that we would yield to the Lord and we would submit to His help and strength to be who He wants us to be and to do what He wants us to do so that His will is unfolded in the life of the church. And friends, as we approach the text today, we think about a passage that reminds us of the strength of the Holy Spirit. And so our our theme today will encourage us to that end. Hopefully you noticed as we read the text, but, but here's our theme today. The advance of the gospel to all people is generated by the Holy Spirit. And I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out what word to use there. Generated by the Holy Spirit, fueled by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's any number of words we could use. The point is that He he gives the strength to do it, and He completes it, and He empowers it. It's all about His work. And this is such good news for us today. As we approach this text, I want you to be encouraged, because whatever you're facing, whatever burden you bear... I want you to know if you're a child of God, He wants you to participate in His mission and by His Spirit, He's given you everything you need to do it. You may feel today like it's just too much. You're weighed down by the challenges and the circumstances and the difficulties. You look at the mission ahead, the call of God to advance His gospel to the globe and you think to yourself, well, how in the world can I participate in that. With, with this in my life and with this going on over here and with this challenge and circumstance, well, how am I supposed to partake and participate in what God is doing? And today's text reminds us that it's the work of God's Spirit, that in Him we've been given all we need to participate. God has a role for each of us to play. And so I hope it's an encouragement to you as we work through this text The Spirit has been the focus of our singing and will be the focus of this sermon. In fact, our main points will give us some truth about God's Spirit and how He works in advancing God's mission. However, as the church, we're going to kind of ask that question along the way, what can we do? What can I do to participate in what God is doing? And so, as we work through, we'll make application. We'll think through how it is that you and I take part in what God is doing by His Spirit in the advance of the gospel. So that brings us to our text for today. And we're asking this question, how is it that God uses His Spirit to advance the gospel to all people? Number one, He guides the church to send laborers. We're going to see this in verse 25 through verse 3 of chapter 13, these opening verses. You're going to notice how it's the Holy Spirit who sets things in motion. He gives direction. He gives help as these missionaries prepare to take the Word of God to people in need of the gospel. And the Spirit does that work through the church. That's what we discover in verse 25. Notice what we encounter here. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they fulfilled their ministry. That word returned means they went back up to Antioch. If you remember the context, last week's sermon, we studied that there was going to be a famine down in the south, in the land of Judea, kind of centered around the city of Jerusalem. And the church in Antioch, there's some messengers that came up to them and said, hey, we need help, there's a famine. And the the big-hearted church in Antioch sent care and relief. They sent money with them down to uh, the church in Jerusalem and in Judea so that the believers could have the care they needed. You remember who they sent with that money? Barnabas and Saul. So verse 25, we're just kind of catching the end of that from two weeks ago. Uh, they, They accomplished their mission, they sent the relief The church was encouraged, and now they return to the north, to the city of Antioch. And just to help us as we kind of imagine where all this is, you can see in the lower right here, here's Antioch. We can't even see Jerusalem on this map. If we were to go straight south from Antioch, it'd be over there on the wall somewhere. Right about there is Jerusalem. So anyway, uh, we don't see Jerusalem on the map. But that's, that's where they journey. They're now back up in Antioch there in their local church. And that's where we encounter them having completed their mission. Now it's interesting, the end of verse 25, just a little interesting. Interesting tidbits here says that they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Do you remember hearing about John Mark? 
Where was it that the believers were praying when Peter was in prison? Remember where? John Mark's mother's house. Mary is her name. They were all gathered there praying for Peter, and that's where Peter went as soon as he was released from prison. Now, we don't know this, but it's very possible that Barnabas and Saul were there among those believers praying. They were in Jerusalem, they encountered John Mark, and they took John Mark back with them. So it makes sense they could have even been at John's mother's house praying with the believers for Peter's... Ah, We don't know. That's all speculation, but kind of fun to think about how how all these stories interact with one another. So Barnabas and Saul bring John Mark back with them. They're ready to disciple him in the ministry. Chapter 13. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And we have this list of names, Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Menaean and Saul. These five men are listed here, and they're called teachers, first and foremost. I think they're, they're leaders in the church. But these men also had, during this time, the gift of prophecy. And God was using that to help them in their leadership in the church. As they taught the believers there, God would give revelation to them. This was one of the gifts of the Spirit that was in operation as the church was being established, but ceased after the Word of God was completed. So these leaders of the church, and there's just one interesting tidbit I'll mention here. This is quite a diverse list. The church at Antioch had people from all over, which is really cool. Okay, so first of all, you've got Barnabas, who is from the island of Cyprus. You see it here, and that will, Cyprus, whoops, wrong button. The island of Cyprus down here, well, that will come up in our sermon later today. Uh, Next, you have a man named Simeon, whose nickname is Niger, and that means black. And we don't know for sure, but it's possible that he was of dark complexion, and that's why he had gotten that nickname. Uh, We don't know. It's a Roman nickname, and so he was from somewhere in the Roman Empire, likely. Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is in North Africa, and so he had somehow traveled all the way from North Africa up to Antioch. And then you have Menaean, who would have been the, the highest upper class in that region. It says he actually grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, Herod the Tetrarch was the one who put John the Baptist to death and the one that Jesus stood before on trial. It was the Herod previous to the Herod who was eaten by worms uh, that we studied uh, in last week's text. So uh, Menaean was part of the upper class and somehow, even, even in that position, came to know Christ and became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally Saul, and we know his mixed background as well. So this is just a a fun conglomeration of people from from all over, now gathered in the church in Antioch. And that's where the Spirit is at work. Verse 3, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Spirit works among them while they're doing something specific. It's while they're worshiping the Lord. Now, in the New King James, it translates that ministering. The word can mean serving. It can actually mean worshiping. It's where we get our present word, English word today. If you trace it back in its history, uh, liturgy is kind of where we get that word. Now, it's different meanings, but you can kind of sense the connection between those two. This had to do with worshiping. And since it's to the Lord, I think worshiping is a good way to translate this. They're, they're serving the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord and fasting. That means they're, they're so devoted to God, they're willing to miss meals even if necessary. Sometimes in fasting, we focus on the missing meals part of it because we really love our food, don't we? But the focus of fasting is not on skipping meals. The focus of fasting is giving attention to the Lord. And if to do that, I need to skip a meal, so be it, right? So they're so devoted in their attention to God. They're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting. That's when... The Holy Spirit comes to them with a message. And he says to them, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so we see God's Spirit working in the church, bringing this direction to the leadership of the church. I want Saul and Barnabas to do this. Set them apart for this task. And they do that. They authorize them. They set them apart by what's called the laying on of hands. We see that in verse 3. They pray more, they seek the Lord's direction more, and then they lay hands on them. That was a way, in that day, that was a way of sort of authorizing someone for a task. 
It was the way the church said, we are setting these two apart for the task ahead of them. We're sending them on the mission for which the Holy Spirit has chosen them. And in fact, we actually still lay hands on people today. You may have seen that in this very congregation. In fact, you can maybe think back when I started as a pastor here. We did that laying on of hands. And there's nothing magical that happens in that. But what it is, is the church saying, we're authorizing this person. We're sending this person to a task. Now, in this case, I was being sent here, I guess, right? I wasn't going overseas anywhere. But we do this when we send out missionaries as well. It's a way of the church authorizing them for a task, commissioning, sending. Those are all the words. So we see the Spirit guiding the church to send Barnabas and Saul. And so that's exactly what they do. Now, as we think about this and how this applies to us, there are sort of two ways we'll think about this. Number one, we see on the screen our our main point, it's the Spirit who guides the church to send laborers. It's a work of God that He does among His people. But as we ask that question, well, what can I do? And how do we participate in this? We're going to answer it this way. It's as the church devotes itself to worship. That's when the Spirit shows up and guides them. And so it's in our gatherings and worshiping. Did you notice? They're worshiping the Lord. They're fasting. They're praying. They're devoted to Him. As we devote ourselves to Him, as we worship the Lord in these ways and pray, that's when the Spirit leads through His Word to direct us on how he would have us serve him and advance the mission of the gospel. I have never been trained in construction or anything like that, but I enjoy working with my hands. And so when there's an opportunity to volunteer on some kind of work crew or to get some project done, I like doing that. It's fun to participate in a task like that and see something get built or see something cleaned up or you know whatever it might be. Maybe you enjoy that kind of thing as well. Well, one of the first volunteer crews that I participated in, I remember uh, a a problem that came up. I arrived late to the party, and so I had missed, you know, the main person in charge and the instructions that he gave to everyone of what we were doing and where things went and how it was all going to work. And so I remember showing up late and thinking, all right, well, I just want to get going. I just want to get active here. I want to participate. I want to get involved. So let's kind of watch what's going on, and then I'm just going to jump in and start doing some things, you know, that's that's got to be a help. And so I, I watched the scene a little bit, and then I, I saw a pile of things that just seemed to be in the wrong place. It shouldn't, that pile of things doesn't need to go there. It needs to go over here. Right? It's, it was very clear to me at the moment. And so I began moving everything in that pile to this other location over here. And, you know, I'm kind of proud of myself. I'm working hard. I'm working up a sweat, moving all these items over here. Before long, one of the other's workers noticed what I was doing. He said, what are you doing? Well, I'm putting these things over there in that pile. They don't go over there. We just moved them over here. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) right. (laughs) So being on board with what the team is doing is kind of helpful in these scenarios. You know what? Maybe I'll talk. Who's in charge? Maybe I should talk to them and find out how they want me to help, right? Here I was undoing all the work. Hopefully you've never been in a scenario like that, but that kind of thing can happen from time to time when we don't ask the right questions, when we don't get the right instructions. We need the Lord's direction when it comes to accomplishing His mission. And praise God, He uses His Word and He uses His Spirit to guide us in the advance of the gospel through the world. This is how He works. And he does that as we devote ourselves to him. So that worship that we see in the text here is God's people aligning themselves with what God wants. They're praying. That's what we do in prayer. We bow before the Lord. And we say, Lord, what would you have? Help me follow your direction. Give clarity on what you want. Lead and guide. We're asking for his help. Aligning ourselves with him. This worship may have involved even the gathering of the church and singing of praises and willingness to even skip some meals if needed in order to stay together and to worship God. So devoted to what He wants and His direction. And that's how God began to use His Word to guide and direct. Now, in this case, the Spirit spoke audibly to them. 
And it's interesting that it wasn't to Saul and Barnabas. He didn't go to them and say, okay, here are you two. Here's what I want you to do. No, he spoke to the leadership of the church, to the church, and said, this is what we want. Set apart these two. And so then the word is coming to them. Oh, okay, well, that's what we're doing. Sounds good. Let's serve. Let's do what the Lord has for us. There was this just sweet submission to the Lord and what he wanted and what he was going to do. You see, God guides the church to send laborers, and he does it as we are devoted to him in worship. Sometimes we think of accomplishing God's mission just as a a willingness, right? If somebody's willing to go, then they must be called to missions, and we should just send them wherever it is they're willing to go. And please understand, willingness is a big piece of the puzzle. We ought to be willing. But missions is far more than that. It's actually following the leading of God's Spirit through the authorizing and sending of a local church. Sometimes people come to the church with ideas about missions. I'm, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this. And often a question I ask them is, well, what's your local church think about that? Has your local church recognized your qualifications to work on the mission field? Have they recognized God's leading in your life to this location and to this task? Missions is not about bringing our ideas to life. It's about following God's direction in our lives. It's about following the leading of the Holy Spirit by submitting to the local church. Maybe you have had a burden for missions and have thought through, maybe the Lord would lead me to do that. That's a wonderful question to ask and to seek God's direction in that. I encourage you to pray along those lines. Lord, how would you use me in your mission? But as you do that, involve your local church. Talk to others around you and seek their advice. What do you think? Would you pray with me about this desire I have to serve the Lord and Do you think the Lord would ever use me in missions? Do you see that in my life? And then follow and yield to the leadership of your local church. Missions is a devotion to God that results in a willingness to do what God leads the local church to ask you to do. As God works through His people and leads to advance His mission across the globe. It's interesting, this is Barnabas and Saul. Talk about two big names already in the book of Acts. But this is not about them doing what they want to do. In fact, we're going to notice in chapter 14, they return all the way to the church at Antioch. And in chapter 14, verse 27, they give report to the church. See, the church is the one who sent them. The church is the one who receives the report at the end of their ministry. So friends, if you want to participate in God's mission, be a part of a church devoted to worship of the Lord. That may mean joining a local church. That may mean serving in your local church. That may mean leaning into the life of your local church. And as a church, if we want the Lord to send laborers from among us, then as a church we must be devoted to the Lord in worship. Praying for laborers like Jesus commanded in Matthew 9, 38. The fields are white and ready for harvest, so pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. Oh, that God would raise up those amongst us that are willing to go wherever the Lord would lead them and do what He calls them. We talk a lot here about uh, maybe having the opportunity to plant a church. Are we praying that God would open those doors for us? Whether that's God's will for us, if that's what He wants, that He'd lead us to the right location and and lead the right people to have a burden for that. You see, we need to be following God's will, not just kind of doing what we want. And so, devoting ourselves to the Lord in worship, prayer and praise as we gather together is how we do this. As we think about, could it even be me? Would the Lord use me? Well, the Lord will move in your heart and your local church will recognize it. It's a great way to answer that question. If you're sensing a burden to be a a part of God's work globally, then consider how your local church sees you fitting in. What steps can you take? God's not leading anyone to do something on the mission field that they aren't already doing in their local church. 
Get active now, submitting to what the Lord is calling you to do. This is how the process of serving Him goes. So not only do we see the Spirit leading here, but notice in the next section, number two this morning, we're going to see how He empowers those laborers to minister the gospel. Now again, we read about Barnabas and Saul, and we think, man, these are like you know, the heroes of the early church. These are, these are big guys, you know? live up to Barnabas and Saul, but as you'll notice in this text, it's not about their skills, it's about how God's Spirit works through them. Luke reminds us of this in verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. This is God at work. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, as we work through this, we're going to try to track along with their travels here, so you can see up on the map. Here's Antioch on the right, And so they begin by traveling down to the coast. That's where that first city is. It's right there along the coast, about a 16-mile journey to Seleucia. And uh, that's where they sailed from across this section of the Mediterranean Sea. They landed on the island of Cyprus in the city of Salami. Well, that's kind of how it's spelled. Salamis is actually the name. And uh, they land there in the city of Salamis, and uh, they get started right away in ministry. Notice what it says in verse 5. When they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John as their assistant. Right away, they go to the, the gathering place of people interested in religion. And that's where they're going to begin speaking the truth of the gospel, sharing that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. They begin preaching and persuading as they share this message. Now, we're not told many details, but that this somehow this process continued as they worked their way across the island of Cyprus. And it's about 100 miles from Salamis over to the city of Paphos there on the southwest edge of the island of Cyprus. So, oh man, to know all of the adventures they had as they worked their way across that island, preaching in, in cities and, and in synagogues, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But next, we're in Paphos, and there they encounter two characters. We read about them already. One is the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Paphos was uh, one of the government seats of the Roman Empire, and so Sergius Paulus was uh, appointed by the Senate to sort of be in charge on that island, and Paphos was where he dwelled. But Sergius Paulus is not the only one we're introduced to. We're also introduced to a man who goes by two names, we're told, Bar-Jesus and Elimus. And we don't know exactly the meaning of Elimus. Some think it means wise or wisdom. Uh, His first name, Bar-Jesus, means actually son of Jesus. Bar means son. And you can see that little prefix in Barnabas' name. And you may remember his name means son of encouragement. So Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. Well, of course, he's not actually the son of Jesus. But it's some claim he's using to sort of be in connection to religion and truth. And he's using it to his own ends. He's called a sorcerer. The word is uh, magi, it's, or magus. It's like uh, uh, what the three wise men are referred to, the ones who visited Jesus. And so it can range from those who just study the stars and are wise to all the way those who are practicing magic and sorcery. And we get the sense from this text that, that Elimus, Bar-Jesus, is involved in some sort of demonic activity here uh, doing magic and so forth. But not only is he doing that, we're told he's a false prophet and he's a Jew. So he knows better. His heritage is within Judaism. He knows about the one true God. He knows what is right. But he's involved in these wrong things and he's speaking falsely. He's a false prophet. This all comes to a head when Sergius Paulus, with interest in the gospel, actually calls Paul and Barnabas to come to him and to share the gospel with him. I want to hear this word about Christ. And that's when Elimus, Bar-Jesus, stands up against it. It says he opposes them. He withstood them, verse 8, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. I mean, this is the very most foundational aspect of opposition to God. This is satanic in its work. Bar-Jesus is trying to oppose what God is doing to keep uh, Sergius Paulus from turning to faith in Christ. In verse 9, this is when Saul begins to be called Paul in the book of Acts. So 
Uh, now I'll try to start calling him that after I've been calling him Saul. I'll probably mess that up plenty of times. But anyway, he's, he begins to be called Paul because that's his Roman name. And from here forward, he's ministering not only to Jews, but to all people. And so he goes by his Roman name, which would have been more commonly understood in a variety of locations. And it happens to be the same name as Sergius Paulus, right? So they share a name here. We're told in verse 9 that Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And that phrase is key right before what he says. I mean, listen to these words in verse 10. These are strong words of opposition. Oh, full of deceit and all fraud. He's telling this bar Jesus to his face, you're full of fraud. You're a deceiver. You are not speaking the truth. Remember, this is Paul filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not Paul just angry and frustrated with this guy. This is words from God giving clarity to the evil that Bar-Jesus is taking part in. The next thing Paul says to him is he says, You son of the devil. It's a play on words. Bar-Jesus' name meant son of Jesus. And Paul's saying, No, 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 you have nothing to do with Jesus. You're a son of the devil. And he's right. Our Jesus is doing the very opposite of what God wants to do here. As Paul and Barnabas are trying to share the gospel, he's trying to turn Sergius Paulus away from the faith. He's resisting the work of God. Paul continues on, again, filled with the Holy Spirit. You enemy of all righteousness. Then he gives them an opportunity to repent. Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? He knows that Elimus knows better, having been a Jew at some point in his past. And so he appeals to him, will you not stop perverting the truth and the way of God? He calls him to repent here. And I think it's right for us to hear, yes, strong boldness from Paul. But I have to imagine Paul had a sense of compassion for Elimus because was it not that long ago? that the Apostle Paul was in the same place, that he himself was resisting the work of God and needed God to step into his life and say, will you stop persecuting me? So Paul calls for him to repent. Verse 11, we read of the judgment that God brings down upon Elimus. He says, Indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And then verse 11 concludes by telling us how it happens. This mist falls upon him, and he's going around trying to find help to find his way. And it's interesting how similar this judgment is to what happened to the Apostle Paul himself. We don't know what happens with Bar-Jesus, with Elimus, and whether he ever repents. But God in His love and mercy, stops him from his evil ways. And as we'll see in verse 12, the proconsul is able then to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one empowering this labor. We've seen it in a number of ways. He directs them back in verse 4. He fills Paul in verse 9 so that Paul can stand against this opposition. And then he even brings judgment on Elimus in hopes that maybe even Elimus will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and repent of his evil ways. So as we think about the Holy Spirit empowering our labor to minister the gospel, here's how we can participate in that. We yield to him. This happens as laborers yield to him. Now notice what happened with the Apostle Paul here. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. As we study the New Testament and we think through what that means, it has to do with Submitting to Him, giving control to Him, not resisting His work. So the Apostle Paul was ready to be used by God, and God gave him exactly what he needed in that moment to stand up against the opposition. I remember learning how to play baseball. Most of you know I'm not a baseball player. It apparently never stuck. I didn't learn very well. Uh, but when I was young, I played baseball, right? It's all the way started with, with t-ball, right? It made it nice and easy for me. Uh, as a high schooler, that was really helpful to me. No, I'm kidding. I started when I was just a little guy um, playing baseball, playing t-ball. 
And uh, I can still remember learning how to swing a baseball bat. Now, at first you think, well, it's just a stick and you just swing it, right? It's not that big of a deal. But, oh, no. There's all sorts of important ways to hold the bat and, you know, where you have your hand grip in relation to the end of the bat and, you know, where you put your elbow and your stance and all this. And so I can remember as a little guy learning how to swing a baseball bat. And my dad was the one who helped me learn how to do it. Now, he was not a professional baseball player. Or, uh, you know, he, he had played baseball as well, but, uh, uh, he, but he was the one to show me how to do it. And so I can remember as a little guy, you know, just kind of doing my own thing. Thing, holding the bat, you know, and just kind of, you know, swinging it however I wanted to. And dad's kind of avoiding the swinging bat as he's preparing to help me. And I remember what he did to teach me how to hold the bat and how to swing it. At, at some point, the verbal instructions stopped and he said, here, let me help you. And his big arms came around me and grabbed the baseball bat over my hands, Right? And at first, as he was doing that, I'm kind of, you know, resisting. Like, Dad, what are, you, what are you doing here? You know, he's like, ah, ah, loosen up, calm down, let, feel what I'm doing. Let me show you how to hold the bat and how to swing it. And so finally, I kind of had to relax and let him take control of the bat. And so then he showed me how to, okay, you've got to get your elbow up a little bit. And you hold the grip here, right? Hold it behind your head. And as you watch that pitch in, you come straight through and you... You lead, pull through with this arm, push through with this arm, and you pull that bat around, and it hits it. And so he began to show me how I could do it. And so my muscles felt what he was doing. And then he let go and said, okay, now you take a turn, right? And it was awful. So he showed me again, right? And you begin to pick it up. You begin to learn. You begin to be instructed. But I can still remember that time when he first took the bat, and I'm kind of resisting. Hey, what good Loosen up. Let me control your arms for just a second. It's a helpful picture to us of the Christian life. So often we're holding the bat and we're just kind of... And the Lord wants us to say, just let me help you. I have the strength you need. Let me instruct you. Let me control what's going on in your life. Yield to me. Submit to me. And it's as we do that that we find that God's Spirit has everything we need to participate in God's mission, to be laborers for the sake of the gospel. This is not just Paul being an amazing guy here or super courageous and bold. This is not Barnabas being an amazing missionary. No, we're seeing the work of God through them. And what made them effective was their being yielded to God. He empowers laborers to minister the gospel. One of the things he provides to help us do that is the word of God. We notice back in verse 5 that that's what they preached. Again, it wasn't just some amazing message that Paul and Barnabas had. No, they went to the synagogues and they preached the word of God. And so one of the ways God has equipped us by his spirit is his word. We have the truth. The message that we can take, it's not about us coming up with something fancy to say. It's the Word of God that is needed. And good laborers are those who are filled with God's Spirit. We think about this in terms of yielding to God, and one of the key texts for that is Ephesians chapter 5. Let's just turn there briefly as we think about applying this principle to life. In the context of Ephesians 5, we're we're reading about what it means to be lights in the darkness, what it means to walk in wisdom and redeem the time so that we might accomplish God's mission. And so he says in verses 15 and 16, walk with wisdom, walk circumspectly, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And he comes to verse 18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Then he goes on to verses 19 and 21, and he explains what that being filled with the Spirit looks like. It looks like worship in verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. It looks like gratitude to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things. It looks like submission to one another and to God, verse 21. And so, 
the being filled with the Spirit results in all these beautiful things in the church. But verse 18 helps us understand what that being filled with the Spirit is. It has to do with yielding to God, giving control to Him, submitting to Him, saying, yes, Lord, and no to other things. How do we know that? Well, it's spoken of as the opposite of being drunk with wine, giving control to a substance, giving control to something else. And Paul says here, no, it's the very opposite. Do not be drunk with wine, which is a waste. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Head the opposite direction. So, being laborers, ready to be used by God, means submitting to God's Spirit, saying no to sin and saying yes to God. And it may be, you're seeking to do that in your life, and praise God if you are. Remember that you have the full power of God behind you, helping you to say no to sin and to say yes to God. But there also may be a missing piece. It may be that you're trying to do it all on your own and God wants to use your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you. If you find yourself stuck, giving in to persistent sin, may I encourage you to reach out to your church for help. Tell a brother or sister in Christ, you know what, I'm tired of this sin in my life. I want to submit to Christ. I want to live for Him. I'm ready to say no. Would you help me do that? And your brothers and sisters in Christ would be privileged to walk alongside you in that process. A lot of times in the Christian life, we're, we, we spend our time asking the wrong questions. We, we think in terms of, what am I allowed to do? What's right and what's wrong? You know, where's that line between what's right and what's wrong? And just make sure I'm just past the line. But actually, walking in the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit is the whole thing. It's, it's what we're running after with all of our strength. It's why in our uh, church covenant, this is what we encourage one another to do. We will seek to be filled with God's Spirit. That's what we're running after. More and more in my life, I'm saying no to sin and I'm saying yes to God. It's interesting the Apostle Paul mentions drinking here because that's one that often comes up in the life of the believer. Well, is it okay for me to drink? And I think when we ask that question, we're asking the wrong question. The question is, does it help me be filled with the Spirit? See, the distinction here is I could head one direction and be filled with wine. I could head the other direction and be filled with the Spirit. And if that's what this life is all about, why would I do anything else? So our covenant goes on to say, we will seek to be filled with God's Spirit, avoiding those things which would hinder our submission to Him. And, of course, somebody's not just alcohol. <laughs> There's any number of things that can hinder our submission to Him. The one we deal with most is just our sin. I'm ready to say no to sin and yes to God, to yield to Him. And as we do that, that's how we make ourselves good laborers for the sake of the gospel. It's not personality, it's not skills, it's, it's not experiences, it's a yieldedness to God that prepares our hearts to be used by Him because He's the one who has all the strength. He's the one who has everything we need to advance the gospel around the world. And so as we think about laborers for the gospel, it doesn't matter what successes they boast Anyone can gain a following. Anyone can claim to have a great name and a a, a great mission to accomplish and can get people excited about Anybody, you see that all around us in the world. What God needs is a tender heart, submitted to Him, saying no to sin and saying yes to Him. As you think about this, as you search and seek God's will for your life, and you want to know what God's will is, let me encourage you to open the Word of God. Here is where the Spirit works in our life today. Not with messages from God, but through His Word. Do you want to know how God is leading in your life? Open the pages of Scripture and read and consider what God would have for you. Walking in the Spirit is how we become laborers, ready to minister the gospel. It's how He empowers us to do what He's called us to do. 
The text closes in verse 12, and we're going to see number three this morning, that God uses the gospel to draw people to faith. And there's a beautiful picture here in verse 12. We see how God uses the gospel to draw this proconsul to faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 12, then the proconsul believed, and there's two reasons. First, it says, when he saw what had been done, there's one thing, he saw the power of God at work, the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So here again, you have God's Spirit at work, and you have the teaching about the Lord, the gospel, the truth that Jesus is the Savior. And he's astonished at the teaching, and he sees the power of the Holy Spirit, and God uses those two things to draw this proconsul, Sergius Paulus, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He stops Elimus from turning him away. And by his power, and by the truth of the gospel, Sergius Paulus is saved. Praise God. Again, we look at a text like this and we think, wow, Paul is just an amazing missionary. But don't miss, it's the Spirit of God who does this. It's the Spirit of God. He's the one who uses the gospel to draw people to faith. So, as we think about that again, there are a couple of applications here. Because he uses the gospel to draw people to faith, we ought to think about our gospel ministry and is our gospel ministry displaying his power. And let me explain what I mean there. First, our ministry ought to be a ministry of the gospel. The word of God is consistently going forth in this place so that God can use his words to astonish hearts and lead them to faith in Christ. The word of God must be central. But not only that, does our ministry display His power? Let's dig into that one a little bit. What does that look like today? Well, it doesn't look like us calling down blindness on people. Okay, this is a unique scenario for, for, for the Apostle Paul here. So we, we won't be doing any of that in our services. I just want to be clear about that. The New Testament, as it continues to unfold, and God explains how the New Testament church is to work. Remember, Acts is a time of transition. We begin to see very clearly in the New Testament the way the Holy Spirit displays His power in the church today. It's seen in what's called the fruit of the Spirit. The power of God at work in our lives is seen visibly in the fruit of of the Spirit. That's what displays His power. Things that are impossible for us otherwise. Supernatural love. Supernatural joy. Peace beyond explanation or understanding. Right? Goodness that has no logical reason to it. Right? These kinds of things are the powerful work of God's Spirit among His people. And as our ministry displays those things, God will use both His Word and the display of His power in the supernatural fruit of the Spirit to draw people to faith in Jesus Christ. This is how He works. And we often think we have to put on some amazing show and do something incredible, right? And in our culture today, there's pressure to, to have, you know, all the, the lights and the fog machine and all these crazy things to make this, yeah, there's really God at work here among us. But the true work of God is seen in hearts that submit to Him and display these fruit. That's it. What did Jesus say would be the defining mark of His followers? They will know you're my disciples by your love, right? By your love. And so it's as God works in our hearts. And this is not, sure, we can kind of fake some of these fruit, can't we? selfishness in our hearts that loves somebody so we can get what we want out of them. Sure, we can do those things. But it's when among the people here we see this supernatural love, and joy and peace and patience and go on down the list. We see the Spirit of God at work among us in powerful ways. This is how God draws His people to faith in the gospel. This I like to think of as gospel fruit, or sometimes maybe you've heard uh, Carrie and I explain it as flexing your gospel muscle, <laughs> like the muscle memory of a, of a baseball bat. 
the, the more the truth of the gospel infiltrates your life, the more the Spirit of God will use that to show the gospel to others around you. Let me just explain what I mean by that. And again, this is entirely a work of God in your heart. But let's say someone in the church needs my forgiveness. They've sinned against me. Now, on a human level, they owe me something, and there's no reason I should forgive them unless they pay me back. But then God's Spirit works in my heart through His words. And maybe I read a passage like Matthew 18, and it reminds me that my Father has forgiven me in Christ this massive debt that nobody could ever repay. And I'm holding this little debt against them? And so God's Spirit works in my heart to say, no, 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 as He forgave me, I need to forgive them. And that forgiveness is supernatural. It's not in us. It's a work of God in our hearts that as we see how He treated us in the gospel, we flex our gospel muscles, so to speak, and we show that same love to somebody else. Maybe there's a situation where something is happening that is just really annoying us. We know we need to be patient, but we don't want to be. But then we remember, wait a second, how many times has the Father been patient with me? How many times has He over and over again been been gentle and kind, though I have continued to be in what, what could be called an annoyance to Him? But He's never, ever annoyed with me. Father, help me to show that same kind of love to this person. Or or to offer kindness to people because that's how he's treated me. Or to lift others up in encouragement and help because that's how he has treated me in Christ. And so then over and over we begin to see how the Spirit can help us live this out as we remember how God has treated me in Christ. I have all I need to treat others this way. And the cool thing is, it really doesn't matter how they respond. It's fueled, it's empowered, it's generated, to use our word, by God's work in my heart, by how He treated me. And then, because of that gospel, I have God's Spirit in me, and all that I need to show that patience, to show that love, to show that kindness, to show whatever it may be in that scenario, because He's empowering me to do it. And that's not a funny feeling. It's not a, anything special. It's just a truth that's true that we believe and act upon. And when that happens among God's people, the fruit of the Spirit is displayed. As we're filled with the Spirit, there's singing and, and worship and submission to one another and gratitude as Ephesians 5 describes it. And the Word of God is seen working among us with power, and that's what draws people to faith in Christ and helps encourage one another as we seek to worship the Lord as well. As we think about participating in God's work in the world and what success means, I want to bring it back to each of our individual lives today. What does success look for, look like for you. You're alive today for one of two reasons. Either God is granting you more time in His generous patience to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ before the return of His Son. And that may be the reason you're alive today, that you can place your faith in Jesus Christ Trust in the one who died for you and rose again. Be saved from your sin through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other option is that you've already trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and then you're alive for this reason, to accomplish God's mission in the earth. He has a purpose for you, that you, as one of His children, would participate in telling the world that Jesus is the Savior God sent That's why you're still here. Otherwise, we'd be home with Him. And one day, we will be. And so I encourage you to participate, to experience success in your mission by bringing glory to God, by spreading the gospel message, 
And we do that by leaning on His Word and leaning on His Spirit. We participate as we devote ourselves to worship, prayer and singing and praise, all signs that we're yielding to the Spirit, walking with Him, saying no to sin and yes to God. And as we yield to Him and that fruit of the Spirit is seen in our midst, God will further the gospel. He used His Word and His works to draw people to faith in Christ. This is how we participate. The good news is that this affects every detail of life. Is it important that I go to my wife and seek forgiveness when I sin against her? Even if it was just a really small thing. It is. Because it impacts the very mission of God and whether I'll submit to God's Spirit in my heart and participate in what He wants to do through me. Is it a big deal to fight sin that comes up persistently and to turn to the Lord in repentance and seek help to battle it again? It is. It has to do with the very mission of God in the world and why we're here on earth. See, we think of these big things as really important, but actually it trickles down to the little things, doesn't it? And the way we respond in the details of life. Friend, be encouraged. If you've trusted in Christ as Savior, the Lord is with you. He knows your mess. He knows your trouble. He's not going anywhere. In fact, He's given His Spirit to dwell in you so that you have everything you need to turn from sin and to trust in Him so that He can use you in this glorious gospel mission. Father, we thank You so much for Your love for us, Your work among us, And we pray today that you would help us to yield to your spirit. May our lives be guided and directed by your word. May we be quick to confess our sin and to turn to you in faith. We want to participate in the advance of the gospel to all people. And so help us in the details to walk with you. Thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us. Thank you for loving us through the gospel even in our sin And may we show that very same kind of love to those around us. We ask for your help in Jesus' name.